0: have your bibles so and we turn to genesis uh, we're in genesis 22 you've been with us recently you've just been working our way to the first book of the bible Moses' first book if you have a german bible been in austria where we were the first book of moses with genesis and chapter 22 let's pray as we come to read god's word together heavenly father i thank you for your word I think every word passes through your hands. Holy Spirit, help me to point to our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. So, Genesis 22, we'll read the whole chapter. The sacrifice of Isaac. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together, and they came to the place which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there and laid the woods in it in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. But Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I, here I am. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. And after these, now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your son Nahor. Uz, his firstborn, Buz, his brother, Camiel the father of Aram, Hezed, Hazo, Pildash, jildlaf, and Bethu. And Bethu fathered Rebekah. These eight, Milcah, bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother, moreover his concubine whose name was Ruma, born Tiba, Gaham Tahash and Makkah may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word forgive, forgive me for the pronunciation of some of those wonderful names having a test, taking a test is part of life GCSE A-levels COVID, LFTs Champions League final, that was a test we won't but tests can be difficult painful but tests are an opportunity to show yourself to prove yourself to demonstrate integrity maturity capability the tests of life we do not like to perhaps think a bit like this but god gives his people tests god does test his people God does not do it because he is mean. He does not do it to trip us up. Exodus 15, verse 25, And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. He tested them. Exodus 16, verse 4, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they walk in my law or not. It is, can God's people follow instructions? Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God gives us tests, not because he is a cruel teacher, but that he might demonstrate what is really in our hearts, for our good, for his glory, that it might become evident that we would pass the test. Are you prepared to pass the tests that God may put in your life? If anyone ever said to you, become a Christian and everything will be rosy from here to glory, They weren't telling you the truth. And it is not. It definitely is not your best life now. As believers, our best life is to come. We hope in the glory to come. We hope in the glory to come. So are you prepared to pass the tests that God may put in your life? And this passage, this famous text about the sacrifice of Isaac, has all sorts of themes. We could go down many different ways, and I struggled for half a day as to where to go. We could talk about atonement, it would be a wonderful thing to talk about, but we're in John 18 as well, so bearing that in mind as well. We could talk about Christ, which is the right thing to do, we could talk about any number of things, but at the beginning we have the frame, Genesis 22, verse 1, and after these things, God tested Abraham. God is not being cruel. He's given Abraham, God has given Abraham the opportunity to show, to prove what is in his heart. To prove that God is right. To prove that God is to be feared. To prove that God can be trusted. So God gives Abraham a test. Are you prepared for God to give you a spiritual test? Maybe you're in one right now. Maybe you're here. No one else knows it but you're in the middle of a test. So what can we learn about the testing of life from Abraham? Well, we we'll look at a few things this morning. First of all, when you have a test from God, you may not know that you're receiving a test from God. God may be doing something. He may be testing you this morning and you do not know it. Abraham didn't know it. We understand from the beginning This is a test, we understand that. God is wanting to show us something. He wants Abraham to prove something. But Abraham didn't know it. Abraham didn't know it. The word must have come to him, this must have come to him like an electric shock. It's hard to read, to be honest. The juxtaposition of the two chapters, last week and this week, is remarkable. 21, what did we look at? The birth of the promised son. And what, is it? and what is it entitled, those first verses? The birth of Isaac. What does 22 start with? The sacrifice of Isaac. The juxtaposition is amazing. After all of these years, no longer is that long-awaited, the son of promise born. Then he almost leaves. It's amazing if you think about all the times that Abraham tried, tried to engineer God's will leading up to last week. And then you thought, the promised son is born. And now it starts off with the sacrifice of Isaac. After all the years, he almost leaves. Abraham does not know exactly what God is up to. It would not have been much of a test if God had told Abraham. That is why we often do not know. We can maybe perceive it, but if God had said to Abraham, By the way, this isn't what it looks like. (laughs) <laughs> this isn't what it looks like but i just need to prove something here well that's an easy test but abraham did not know he did not know that god was testing him and you may not know when you're undergoing a test from almighty god secondly sometimes the tests the spiritual tests are hard beyond imagination it doesn't get any more traumatic in this story it doesn't if you're a parent or anyone, if you, it almost brings you to tears reading this passage. Even if you know how it's going to end. Even if you know how it's going to end. Look at verse 3. Abraham sat on his donkey He took two of his young men. He loaded up wood for a burnt offering. Abraham had the provisions. We've seen that he's a wealthy man. But nothing, nothing can make up for his son. We've seen how hard it was for Abraham to have this promised son. And look how God's word emphasises this. Verse 2, take your son, your only son, your son, your only son, Isaac. Now, we know he has another son, Ishmael, but this is the only son of his wife, the only son from the promised line, line, your only son, Isaac. And if to to make it even more poignant, whom you love, whom you love. And then in verse 3, in verse 6, in verse 9, in verse 10, we reference again and again and again his son. And in verse 7, my son. To make absolutely clear, we're talking about your flesh and blood, your only beloved son. It was one thing that Abraham had to wait had to wait for the birth of the promised son before he had to hope for the future. Now, it looks like he's been asked to give up the future. That is what's so painful when we lose a child, including the unborn. Anyone who's faced the tragedy of a miscarriage knows the truth that the child in the womb is a precious life and not some cells that can be discarded. There was a very sobering this week, if any of you saw it, they're discussing, is this the last generation of the Down syndrome children? Is there no fear of God? That they can discuss murder as a solution to a problem? Now Abraham and Isaac had to travel three days. And do you think that in those three days there were Thoughts in Abraham's head. Turn back. Turn back. Turn back. God cannot be serious. God cannot be serious. Do you think there were times when he just looked over and he saw Isaac? He was reduced to tears. Well, I would have been. I would have been in floods of tears. I wouldn't have been able to think about it. And three days he has to travel, knowing this. Thinking about it. Knowing what he's been told, your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, you don't get a harder test than this. Thirdly, sometimes when you get a test from God, it seems for all the world to be unreasonable. Now let's be clear, this is a clear command from God. We don't know how the voice of God came. It's there absolutely clear and we don't want to move away from this story and deal with our own hunches or our own impressions and load upon those the same force the same weight let alone that we would feel in a moment of almost psychosis that god was telling us to do something like this so we're dealing with a special case here where god clearly spoke to abraham and it's not an application an inference a gray area but the command must have un- must have seemed unreasonable wrong one commentator said that god seemed to be abraham's worst enemy have you ever felt like that? It seems right now that God is asking of me what God is asking of me, what God is putting me through. That God is my worst enemy. It must have felt like that to Abraham. He's been asked not only to sacrifice his son, but in that sacrifice to give himself, to sacrifice his will, his heart, his future, his wisdom, his plans, his own way of making sense of the world. You may you and I may be asked to do things in obedience to the Lord that do not immediately make sense to you. You do not immediately feel good, that do not feel right. Sometimes it is great when we obey God and we step out and we know and feel his pleasure and this is hard. But it makes sense and I know that this is good for me. And there are other times you read commands in the Bible and you think I do not even know how this could possibly be good for me. How is stepping out of this relationship? How is stepping forward into this faith? How is leaving that lucrative job offer that asks you to compromise? How is that good? But you know what the command of the Lord is, and even though it seems unreasonable, you step out in faith you step out in faith. And I can honestly say that in in our life, we know that by stepping out in faith, the Lord always answers. The Lord always answers. So the tests, you may not know it is a test. It may be the hardest test. It may seem unreasonable. So how do we then pass the test? Well, it's very hard, and it's very straightforward, and that is to trust and obey. We'll sing that, immediately after the sermon, trust and obey, there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Well, think about those words, trust. That's interesting. The Isaac, the text, doesn't make much of Isaac. It would we be right to want to lionise Isaac, who is an old enough boy to know what is going on, to ask a question? He asks a question, where is the burnt offering? Why am I carrying this wood? Why have you bound me on the altar? The text doesn't do that. And the New Testament doesn't make an example of Isaac and his faith. Abraham, yes, we'll come back to that. In later Jewish traditions, Isaac becomes the central figure in the story. In Jewish tradition, they say that Isaac offered himself as a sacrifice for the righteous. In the Quran, it is not Isaac, but Ishmael who is praised. But the New Testament does not even come back to this as a story about Isaac. We were talking about it this week. Yisra and I. The New Testament doesn't come back to this as a story about Isaac. And amazingly, the New Testament does not make Isaac to be a type of Christ. Even though we see so many pointers, so many parallels It's hard not to see them. My son, my beloved son, my only son. Isaac is the lamb, the mount of the Lord. The wood placed on his back. Three days. Oh, God, boy, that that would preach. It's hard not to make a connection to Jesus. Raised on the third day, carrying his cross up to the mountain. God's only beloved son. Some people even try to argue that the Mount of Mount Moriah was actually Calvary, the same mount. So it is proper that we see a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I often like to say, every page whispers his name. But the New Testament does not do those things. According to the inspired New Testament writers, the binding of Isaac is not so much a story about substitutionary sacrifice, though we're right to see it there. But it's a story of faith and it's a story of promise. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Note that phrase. He who had received the promises, which is who Abraham is, was in the act of offering up his only son. Of whom it was said... Though Isaac, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which figuratively speaking he did receive him back. Hebrews looks at this and says this tells us something about faith. And faith has its reasons that even sometimes reason does not understand. Abraham was so full of faith he figured that God would make a way. Have you noticed that verse five, when Abraham said to his young men, he said, stay here with the donkey. I find that very instructive this week. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. We, I and the boy, we will come back. He was so full of faith. How? Abraham, Hebrews tell us that Abraham knew That God was going to give him Isaac back. He was the promised son after all. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. And it must be said. The Lord will give back again. So Abraham with astonishing faith says. Yes carry the wood. I'll carry the fire. We'll go to the mountain. And we will come back. Astonishing faith. We will come back. Both of you Abraham. Yes that's right. We will come back. We will return. Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead and in a way he did. One commentator points out in a way twice, when Isaac was resurrected from Sarah's womb and when he was resurrected from the altar on Moriah. So this is a story about faith, my friends, about trust. Abraham didn't know how the dots were going to connect he didn't know what this was going to look like. It wasn't easy to have your son carry the wood, be ready and then be ready to slaughter him. But Abraham believed that we're coming back. That is such tremendous faith and what faith we need today like that. I've, I've often thought about it like Peter said in his first chapter, that we should live with our hope looking forward, looking forward. That's where we're headed and sometimes we put so much effort into surviving here we spend all of our times worried about and there are things to worry about but we spend our times worrying about that as if we're going to live here forever if only we just get through the other side of covid we'll be all right there'll be something else it's smelling like it already it smells like petrol isn't it but i mean there's always something to test your faith. But we have a hope that goes beyond the grave. Do you believe that Jesus is coming back? Do you believe in the promise of eternal life? Do you believe in the promised land? So he passed the test because he trusted. Tremendous faith. And if you if you could just get a glimpse of the faith of Abraham and that encourage you then maybe that's what you you need to hear this morning. And then Abraham obeyed. The story tells us something crucial about the nature of saving faith. Saving faith is to believe God's word even against what seems to be evidence of the contrary. God doesn't ask us to believe, by the way, that circles are squares and squares are circles, but he does ask us to believe things that are beyond our reason and comprehension that we who would like to know the future. And this is very key for me. Me, who would love to know the future, has to trust the one who holds the future. We, we, we would long to know the future. You know, <laughs> as Boris got it right at last? Or, or whatever. Will there be a turkey on the Christmas? Or a goose, whatever you have. We would love to know the future. But God asks us to trust the one who holds the future And that is the very, very best place to be. The nature of this saving faith was to say that if God is asking me to do it, God has a way. God will make a way to bring my child back from the dead. And it showed itself in trusting and obeying. That's the point that James later makes. James isn't contradicting Paul, who says we're justified by faith alone. When James says that We're not justified by faith. And that's not what James is saying. James assumes faith. They're talking about two different things. And James is saying that the faith that justifies will demonstrate, will show itself in works. If Abraham had received that word from the Lord and said, I believe. And God said, you're still standing here. I believe you're still standing here. No, I believe you absolutely. You can bring Isaac back from the dead. God would say, then go and do it. Then go and do it. Faith without works. You don't really trust if you don't obey. If it's only trust up here, academic, it's not trust at all, unless you're willing to obey. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live like you believe it. How often do we sing the hymns? And I really love singing hymns here. And say the prayers. God is in control. I trust God in my life. And then I find myself frantically hanging on to the steering wheel of the driver's seat in my life. Do you trust him? Then sit in the passenger seat. Don't take that literally, by the way, but you understand what I mean. Um, And you know what? You don't have a steering wheel over there. You don't even have brakes over there. Well, sometimes you do if you learn to drive. But do you trust? And do you obey? So Abraham passes the test, verse 12, now I know. And Abraham passed the test. Have you noticed that there is this bookend to Abraham's life? Have you seen the parallel? When did we first meet Abraham, chapter 12? What did God say to him? Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave your comfort zone. I want you to leave your family. I want you to go somewhere you don't even know where you're going. I want you to do something you don't fully understand. And he does it. He leaves Ur of the Chaldees. He leaves his family. He goes elsewhere. And now toward the end of Abraham's life, as we are bookending this life of faith with a lot of ups and downs, God says to him once again, like he said in chapter 12, I want you to leave what is familiar. I want you to leave your family. I want you to go to a place where you don't know what will happen. And I'll ask you to do something that you don't understand. And in both cases, Abraham obeys. And in both cases, it ends with blessing, with promise. And chapter 12, chapter 22, both end in worship. They both end with an altar to the Lord God. A promise that seems unreasonable. Abraham believes. Abraham obeys. Abraham worships. Abraham receives blessings and promise. And in verse 15 and following, God is not just repeating himself. You might say, well, we've heard this. We've been here before, done that, stand and seashore, stars, skies. No, God is redoubling his commitment. It is a firm declaration. God, the Lord makes an oath, verse 16, by himself. Hebrews 6 draws attention to this. When you make an oath, you swear by something or someone greater than yourself. We still have it. Many people put their hands on the Bible or the colloquial sayings that the world says. You know, how many times do you go, know, I swear on my mother's grave is probably one that you hear a lot, whatever that means. Point being is you're swearing on something precious beyond yourself, that's what it's trying to say. You would not think to go before a judge and say, do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And he goes, yeah, I swear by myself. I swear on myself. But God has no one higher. Nothing greater. Behold your God, Isaiah 40. There is nothing greater, nothing superior. He cannot swear by anyone but himself. There is nothing higher to authenticate his promise than to swear by his own name. The unchanging character of his promise is tied to the unchanging character of who he is. God doesn't ask us to have an irrational faith. I said that it was unimaginably hard and sometimes we don't understand it. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. But that is different than saying it is utterly blind and irrational. Because God, when he asks us to do things that do not make sense to us, nevertheless gives us promises that's what hebrew 6 draws out a sure anchor for our soul god does not just say go do it he says go and i will be with you do you trust me if you trust me you can obey me and that's how you pass the test trust and obey the god of promise is there not to push you out in some blind exercise of faith but to tell you and assure you of his promises. I'm sure there are many of you, maybe you did not think about it until right now or 20 minutes ago or so. Maybe you're facing a kind of spiritual test. Maybe in situations like this you find yourself today. You're at a point and there is a test. You know what the right thing is. You know what the right thing is to do. But for all the world, because so many other people do it, you're trying to convince yourself why it would be okay to disobey God will you trust and obey someone you're getting close to is not on the same page spiritually or that person may not even be a believer and you know what the bible says do not be unequally yoked but you only think about how lonely you are and God doesn't want you to be lonely but will you trust and obey Or there's someone in your life and they've hurt you very, very, very deeply and you don't want to let go of the hurt because if you let go of it, you think you'll let them off the hook. Or there's somebody who's asked for your forgiveness and you feel like if you grant forgiveness, you're forgoing the justice that they deserve. I've seen that probably more amongst professing Christians than anyone. People hang on to unforgiveness and it breaks my heart because they miss out on so much. They they miss out on so much. Or you're a young person and you feel you're close to making what is an irrevocable break into a different direction. I don't need Christianity. I don't need Jesus. None of my friends need him. I don't need this church. I don't need rules in my life. Or maybe you have a job offer and you want to take it and you know it's going to be a lot of money but you know it will be bad. You know you'll be put you in situations where you compromise your faith. Or maybe somebody is asking you to do something at work and you think if I go along with this I might be fired and convince yourself you have to go along with it you'd compromise your faith. Do you not think that God will bring your job back from the dead? What sort of tests are you facing? There are sorts of, all sorts of examples in the Bible. Sometimes they pass the test, sometimes they don't. You've got Joseph, and Potiphar's wife. She was there. She came on to me, Lord. She's right there. She's threatening me. I kind of have to. He didn't. He didn't. How about Esther? sometimes I say it's my favourite book in the Bible but Esther am I supposed to risk my neck what good is it going to be if I come to the king and I try and save my people I might lose my life then what good will I be I shouldn't do this she did if I die I die Daniel how many times did he face the test eat the king's food or bow down Or cease to pray to God. And he trusted. In the lion's den. He trusted. How about his wonderful friends. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. In the fiery furnace. God will find a way. Brothers and sisters. God will find a way. And if he does not. I will serve him anyway. And then you have people who didn't. Who didn't. And you know the stories, you hear the stories. And as many times as you hear Samson's story, don't you want to scream out? I mean it's became you yeah, know scream out, don't cut your hair! Don't cut your hair, don't trust Delilah, don't trust her. Or how many times do you read the David story and you say, Don't look, David, please don't look. Please don't look. Just you saw Bathsheba, now stop. But we are finally The good story in Genesis tells us something not only about the nature of faith, to trust and obey. It tells us about the God of promise, brothers and sisters. And we need to be careful, this isn't a story only or solely about Abraham's faith. It is about that. But the story, the reason it can't be about Abraham's faith is that it's about God's promise. God's promise. That's why we trust and obey. Because God makes amazing promises to you. He's promised never to leave you. Do you believe that? He's promised never to leave you. He's promised never to forsake you. He's promised to turn all things to good, even the bad things for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. You'll never, ever be worse off for doing the right thing. My friend, you'll never, ever, ever Be worse off for trusting and obeying. Your life may be difficult. God will bless you. God God will bless you. We're talking about eternal spiritual things here. I said earlier that this story is in the Quran, and the Quran has the sacrifice, the binding of Ishmael, not Isaac. And there's another important difference in the Quran's story. Because it's by sheer submission by Ishmael and Abraham to the will of Allah. And of course we believe in submitting our wills to God. But this story in Genesis, we make a big mistake if we think it's about submission to the will of God. There it is, and I'll just do it. What is absent from the Quran's telling of the story is the God of spectacular promise. The immortal, invisible God only wise. In Hebrews 11, Abraham is called he who received the promises. You go by a lot of names. You know, Christians, the nutters from Lake Roads, I don't know, there, you know. There's loads of terms that you'll be called in this town. The weirdos, the convention, whatever it is. You'll go by a lot of names if you are a Christian. But this is another name, and I love it, I love it, I love it. You are those who have received the promises. If you're a Christian, you are those who have received the promises. That is fundamental to your identity. We are those who've received God's promises. So note what Abraham calls this place where the Lord gave the ram. He doesn't call it where I obeyed, Abraham obeyed. He doesn't call it Abraham submitted. He calls it Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. The Lord will find a way. And how can we connect this, at least this line, all the way to Romans eight thirty two? If he who did not spare his own son gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How could he not? The God who gave up his only son... Do you promise? He does. Do you believe? We must. That he will graciously give us all things. You and I will be tested. And some of you are facing a test today. But there are promises. There are promises. The promises of God. So we can trust and obey. May God have the glory for for our eternal good. Amen.